You know, I try to keep it 100 on this podcast. You know that I'm trying to make sure that we cut off the fluff and just get straight to the heart of the matter. And that's why I wanted to invite my boy, Larry Armstead II. Yes, the second, because we don't want to confuse him from his dad. (laughs) And we just had a really frank and honest conversation about loving yourself, escaping from the drama, learning your personal power, keeping yourself distinct from your trauma, and just so much. If you are just interested in a sort of non-PC, but honest and real conversation about healing and loving yourself, back to the way you were designed to be, listen to today's episode. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit that follow subscribe button. Go visit me at denisegeely.com where you can read articles, take one of my courses, all that fun stuff, or make sure that you follow me on X Twitter at denisegeelee. Now, that all being said, stay tuned after this short break and we will get straight to it. So those who don't know you, would you kindly introduce yourself? You've got a larger than life personality. (laughs) Um, Yes. Uh, So um, I am Larry Armstead. I'm the second. Trust me, if you look up the uh, the other Larry Armstead, you're going to get my dad. And he's going to be like, what are y'all talking about? I don't know what that mess is. So I'm Larry Armstead, the second um, owner of Parallary LLC over at Parallary.com. Um, I am a alignment coach, a spiritual thought leader, a TEDx speaker, um, a human design professional um, and teacher. Um, I've done tarot. I've done Oracle. I, I'm just this all around spiritual guy. And I don't happen to think um, the same way about a lot of things that a lot of people do. And that's why people typically come to me. One of the things that attracted to me was when you said I'm not coming to save you, baby. I can't. I can't. There's nobody's coming to save you. And that's what that's the one big thing that I always tell my clients when they come to the door and they're like, oh, I need you to be my my coach. Realize that when you do, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, number one, why are you here? And number two, realize I'm not coming to save you. Ain't There's nobody coming to save you. Jesus is I look. Jesus is not coming to save you. Muhammad's not coming to save you. Buddha's not coming to save you. Your mama's not coming to save you. Your daddy's not coming to save you. The sister's not, your partner's not coming to save you. You're going to save you. Oh no, that's not good. That's not good. When you know that your (laughs) mama will come and bring you some hot porridge and a word of encouragement, you can't be my mommy substitute. Yeah, can't be my, listen, the the porridge, you're going to eat the porridge and the porridge is going to go down and it's going to come out. The words of encouragement is only going to be there until mama leave. Mama's only going to be there until she, like my mama had to do me when I went through my breakup. She eventually looked at me one day and she said, I'm so sick of hearing about this shit. Will you please just go? No, don't come back down here until you got to figure it out because I've given you everything that I got. And I'm like, ooh, okay. Had to be me. (laughs) Okay. This is weird. All right, Larry, let me, I got like a weird demographic going on. It's mostly men and they're mostly in all sorts of age brackets, 20s, 40s, 50s. And one of the common things I hear from everybody is like, I was promised that if I did certain things, 
my life would turn out the way they intended it. I worked hard. I showed up. I got these degrees. I got, I got my papers and I'm mm-hmm. miserable. And you're telling me I'm paying you and you're not going to help me fix all of this? A hundred percent. Because number one, I am going to be the most real person in the world with you. The first thing I'm going to say is like, I had to look at myself. I, you know, I got my degrees. I got my paper. I went to school. I did all these things. You're really talented with computers. You're amazing with computers. Is that what Larry wanted? No, that was just someone saying that I was good at that. That's not what I wanted. What I wanted is to work with people, to be a spiritual teacher, to be a spiritual leader. But how's that going to pay your, how's that going to pay your bills? So my question is, if, Anybody is saying that I did everything I was supposed to do. I I got my degree. I got my papers and I'm miserable. Did you enter into that stuff correctly? Or did you enter into it because you were supposed to? It was a family lineage. It was what you was expected. You knew you was going to make some money. It sounded good at the moment. You didn't weigh it out and really weigh your options. Again, it all falls on you. Nobody held a gun to your head to make you do any of that. Nobody held a gun to my head and said, you you, you go get that IT degree. You You better do it. I made that decision. I got to live with that decision. There's a lot of social stigma, right? And I know it's, I'm specifically talking to the non-white people in the room, okay? I'm not saying that white folk don't have social stigma. I'm not saying that at all. Not okay? at all. Not at all. I'm talking to the Black folk in the room, the Latinos, even the Asians. Y'all included in this mix. And Indians, all, all y'all where you are being shamed on the grave of your great, 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 great grandmother if you didn't go and do something that they perceive as worthwhile in in your life. And that's 100%. That is 100%. And it's always on the back of, we want you to have better than what we have. But how can you put that kind of, number one, that pressure on somebody's back? And number two, what if what I want is better than what you had, but since you've never experienced it, you don't have the nervous system capacity to accept that what I'm going to be doing is better than what you actually experienced. Just because you don't see it as a viable way to live and make money doesn't mean that it's not. And this is hard because I know that grandma and uncle Jimmy and all them folk mean well, and they talking in a big stern voice saying, boy, I'm coming back from where you're going to. And this, that <laughs> they bop you over the head, all that stuff. And then it makes you question your sanity because you're thinking, I know they survived all this type of stuff that I can't even wrap my mind around. And they're saying, but, yeah. But the question is, how did they survive it? Were they happy? Are they happy with their on their deathbeds? Did they look up and say, you know what, I'm so happy that I went and worked 14 jobs and slaved and didn't hardly see my family and could barely sleep at night and had to go through arthritis and my back being broken down. I'm so happy I did all that. This made my life worth living. Or did they have a bunch of potential? How many of y'all grew up with people that could sing Beyonce, sorry, behalf, who could sing Beyonce under a table, but they had to go work and be a nurse because they said money and singing ain't going to pay the bills. And they believe that. Come on now. It's it you we are all born with intrinsic gifts and think gifts and things to give to the world and to experience in the world. Some people are designed to go be a nurse. Some people are designed to go be a doctor. Some people are designed to go work in IT. 
There are some people that are designed to entertain. There are some people that are designed to be spiritualists. There are some people designed to be entrepreneurs. But if we don't give people the permission to actually do those things, then all we have is people walking around with a, bu- a big bunch of potential over their head. And that potential is never going to be actualized. This makes me think about Mark Twain's one of his, he had a lot of, lot of fun gems, of course, but one of his favorite uh, think quotes that I love, he said that, you know, most men are die at 27 and buried at 72. And I think about that a lot because school, the system, culture, they just beat the creativity out of you. Absolutely. I mean, it, so, so it doesn't look like that I'm like, I'm talking at y'all. Like, let me bring, let me bring y'all into me, right? Because I can only use me as an example because I'm the only one who's lived my example, right? Um, With me, it was, you know, I'm 40 years old. And I came up in the era where where DOS was still the big boy on the playground, right? I know, right? And I got sponsored at eight years old to take these computer classes, anonymously sponsored. I still, to this day, don't know who sponsored me. And I went in there and I was just naturally gifted. It just all made sense. But is are computers what set my soul on fire? No. Do I even like computers? No. Am I extra talented with them? 100%. I, I've never read an instruction manual on anything electronic. I can take your computer part right now and put it together 14 different ways. Does that bring me joy? No. So it's like you have to almost look at what brings you joy. I came into the world knowing how to do three things. I knew I knew how to write and write emotionally and captivate you. I knew I knew I had a voice that came down through my grandparents. I could sing. And I knew that I loved all things spirituality. But all those things, I ain't going to make you no money. How are you going to be able to survive? How are you going to be able to do those things? For you? You're not going to be, not everybody makes it. Not everybody's going to be a successful writer. Not everybody's going to be a successful singer. You, you want to talk about spirituality? Ain't nobody going to pay you for that. Those are the things I heard. So I went into IT and played it safe. You got to listen to yourself. Okay. I'm, I won't talk about the elephant in the room. Everybody's saying nobody pays to be singing and acting and spirituality. Well, the fact the fact of the matter is, folk don't even try to test their metal to be good and the gifts that they have. Yep. Yep. hundred percent that. It's and there's a level of fear, I think, that's beat into us, especially with you know, any of those like communities that we talked about earlier. Anybody with a little bit of melanin in our skin. We were always taught that we have to be, you know, two times better, 10 times better. And there's a level of fear that comes with this. And even if you are good and you do make it, look what happens. We still carry the trauma. I don't care how much money that you have. I don't care how much fame that you achieve. There's still trauma and there's still things that we carry that we have to take care of. I mean, my favorite singer and entertainer in the entire universe since I've been two years old has been Whitney Houston. She still remains that for me, but she did not deal with her trauma. She had a lot of generational trauma and then she had her own personal trauma on top of that. And that is what I believe ultimately took her out of here. That's why I ultimately believe that's what led her to make the life choices that she made and putting certain, you know, the substances in her body that she did because the weight of all that. So how do I stop feeling? 
How do I stop experiencing? How do I escape all this? I'm the greatest singer in the world. I've toured the world. I've made movies and millions and millions of dollars. But when I go to bed at night and when I lay in my big mansion bed and, you know, and I'm in Europe and I'm doing, I'm here, there, I'm everywhere and everybody knows my name. When I lay my head down and it's just me, baby, the voices of those traumas ain't gone nowhere. You got to deal with the stuff. We live in a society that normalizes coping strategies. Like, for example, Whitney, the substances that she, you know, was consuming. But the biggest substance that she was consuming, in my personal opinion, was her ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The biggest substances that a lot of people are pursuing right now is performance or mm-hmm. achievement, fame. And I was one of the I was one of the people. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I I I was the overachiever. I, I have three degrees and a and a wall full of certifications for what? No, for nothing. It was for something. I, I think it was for something because I think for a lot of people who are listening to this, this the audio or watching here live on YouTube, they, they 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 know in the back of their head, I got these papers so I could feel better about myself, so I could get that pat on the back, yeah, so I could see that I'm not disappointing Grammy or wherever you came from in the world, and achieved what what your great grandparents thought was impossible. Yeah. And we keep telling these stories of how, you know, when we were growing up, there was no running water. You know, in the Cultural Revolution, you know, you were lucky if you got a little piece of meat with your rice. And like we're telling these stories of survival. And then we're teaching our kids you have to overcompensate for all the fears that we couldn't work through. 100%. A hundred percent. So, I mean, and I'll even go back and say, you know, all those certifications and the papers that I have on my wall, that, I mean, it wasn't for nothing. I have a suite of skills inherent to me at this point that nobody can take away. I can build a website from scratch. I can do all the graphic design. I can do everything that I need to do. So I, I'm almost a one man machine, right? I have a, a level of knowledge that nobody can take from me. Is it necessarily what I wanted? No, but now that I know what it is that I do want, I know that I, okay, well, I have these skills. I don't have to go outsource out for somebody to do my website or to do my video editing and do any of these things. I have these skills, but it almost, you, I almost had to go to a place with me where I asked at what cost did I gain these skills? At what cost of sacrificing myself and putting myself on the back burner did I have to go to obtain these skills? if I just followed the singing and the writing and the spirituality from the jump, how much further ahead would I be? But I can't live there. But I do have to question it. I know someone right now is listening to this and they're thinking to myself, but Larry, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know I wake up in anxiety every day. And just Mm -hmm. listening to this makes me feel disconnected because I don't feel I'm worthy of moving in the direction that aligns with my heart. So here's what I say when people say, but Larry, you don't know me. The first question I I would ask you as a client of mine, 
is it's not Larry. I don't know. Larry, you don't know me. It's do you know yourself? Have you met yourself? Have you given grace to yourself where you are? Have you given grace to your experiences? Have you, I'll even take it a step further. Have you gone into the depths of you and done the inner child work and the parts work and the shadow work to hold on to the, to, to get a grip of those parts of yourself that realize that there might even be a part of you that enjoys the anxiety every day because you know how to do anxiety. You know how to do that. I don't like anxiety. Consciously, you don't. But subconsciously, oh, you get off on that. It's a turn on for you because we don't do anything we don't get a benefit from. So again, have you met yourself? If we start meeting ourselves, we're going to pick up some real nasty, ugly stuff that we don't want to admit to anybody, including ourselves. I think everybody wants to view themselves as beautiful, sexy, wonderful people that if we could, we always be walking on water. We're so glorious. Mm-hmm. Uh, that. And, you know, just so people can, you know, understand that I have done the work on me and I continue to do the work on me. Number one, I, I always say, if you're going, if you're going to do the work, realize that the work don't have any, there's no end point. There's no end point to healing. There's no end point to the work. So I, I need people to get that out of their head that, okay, so I'll just do these things and I'll be fixed. No, you'll do these things and you'll level up, but you're going to keep on leveling up. But there was a time, uh, so I'm a 40 year old gay man who lives in the Midwest, in the Bible Belt of the Midwest. And there was a time, of, even a few years ago, that I would look at stuff on TV, pride parades, and these people being out and openly themselves and gay and everything. And I would be like, I thought I was, I'm special. I'm, I'm not those people. Like, I would never go to a pride parade and wear these little short shorts or rainbow stuff and they're out here doing it. I'm sitting here on my high horse being judgmental as hell and I'm loving it. I don't realize that I'm loving it subconsciously, Oh, but I'm loving it because it makes me special and it makes me different and it makes me unique. And then one day I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, oh my God, Larry, you are a homophobic gay man. And I was out, very visibly out bringing people home and everything out. And I had to sit in the hurt. That's what I want people to understand. You have to be willing to go to the hardest place. You got to be willing to jump into the 18 in foot in foot in the pool and swim back to the three foot. If you can do the deep end, you can do the shallow. But you have to be willing to go there and sit in the hurt and the pain. And I had to like literally sit here and bawl and cry and work with my nervous system to expand that, oh my God, you're a homophobic gay man. And you actually get off and enjoy holding judgment over other gay men who are being more expressive. And what, I, what did I find? It's because they were living a part of life of being expressive and being themselves that I wasn't willing to live because I didn't know how to live it. And I was jealous. And that was what was underneath all that contempt and judgment was jealousy and then feeling sorry for myself. So... Everybody has that story. Everybody has something. Nobody's exempt from the human experience. So you have to give grace to yourself, but you also have to be willing to look at some stuff that's really ugly and that you would rather not admit, like hearing that coming out of my mouth a couple years ago when I had that realization, when I heard those words come out of my mouth, I mean, when I tell you I laid in the bed and I cried for two days, 
before I could even get up and just start moving, to start moving this through my body, that's where it's at. But that's where we got to be willing to go. And we were always told that men don't cry or, you know, black people were strong and da, 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 da. that strength is often manufactured, not real. We got to break that stuff down. Why is the strength there? We got to question what we think we know and even what we think we don't know. Why do I have to be strong? Why do I have to be this? Because mama says so? My daddy told me I got to do this? This is what I want your grandmama to do? How happy were they? How fulfilled were they? They weren't. They weren't. And let's look. Let's just be 100 with this conversation. Let's just call calling it strength and calling a trauma response. That. Your, your suspicion, your negativity, your standoffishness, your arrogance. It is a trauma response. I, I, I'm really, I'm really done mincing words with this and mm-hmm. trying to rationalize. Okay, well, Aunt, Aunt maybe always did this. So, it, and nobody questioned what Aunt maybe did makes it okay. It doesn't. In the back of your mind, I know someone's listening here. In your back of your mind, you know some of the things that they were doing was crazy. Hmm. And you experience the craziness firsthand. And you, well, that's just the way that she is. Just because that's the way that she is, don't make it right, baby. Just because that's the way that everybody else in the family lets it happen does not mean that's the that made it okay or that that made it right. And sometimes you have to be willing to even put you, and I, I hate saying it, but it's the truth. Sometimes you have to be willing to lose everybody, your family included, to gain yourself. That don't mean you're going to cut them off for life, but that means they might have to go way to the back burner while you deal with you. And that means you have to might have to, or you're going to have to put yourself at the front of the line instead of saying, everybody, everybody can cut in front of me. It's fine. It's fine. It's not fine. I want people to understand what I'm about to say. And I mean this with all love and sincerity. The only places demons will ever take you is to hell. It's never going to go to heaven. And playing nice with things that are destructive is not cute. And just because everybody is winking and nodding to the stress and anxiety, it gets stored, like you mentioned earlier, it gets stored in your nervous system. And you just think that's a normal way to function. You wake up and you anxious. You go to bed, you nervous. Sweetheart, you listening, are you watching our faces? It ain't normal. And just Mm-mm. because your family was doing it, don't make it normal. And I and I say and I say this next part with all the love as well. Just because that I don't know any other way. I don't know. You live in a world where you can find a way. You you in fact, we live at probably one of the greatest points in human history because. You, if you want a way out, baby, you can find a way out. You have Denise. You have people like me. There's a hundred other for every me and Denise. There's two hundred more of us out there that are saying the same thing. That are ready to work with you. You may not be able to even hear what the message that's coming from us, but you hear from somebody else. You got to find who works for you and what works for you, and not be scared. I promise you, the emotions that you're feeling. The, the the fear that's holding you back and that's holding you down and it has, you know, it's it's hand on the back of your head telling you not to move. I promise you it's not going to kill you. 
it might feel like it. It might seem like it. It might be yelling in your ear that, oh my God, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. It's not going to kill you. Maybe therapy is not going to kill you. It's going to be one of the greatest things you can do for your life. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be easy or it's going to be fun. But I promise you, when you come out on the other side of this level of your healing, you're going to look back and not recognize the person that you that left that came in the door to begin with. To your point earlier, you said that sometimes you might have to let some folk go along the journey of recovery. Doesn't mean that you can't circle back and talk with them. And I think a lot of people are scared because they're like, the only people that know me tolerate this. If I start learning how to deal with my emotions, if I start learning not to freak out and create all sorts of drama, what do I got to talk about? Maybe they're not interested in what the new version of me looks like. And to that, I would say you can't worry about that because you don't know what the current version of you looks like. Let alone the new version. One thing you can do because you you don't you have never experienced the new version of yourself. When I went to do this shadow work and inner trial work and therapy and parts work, I had not experienced this version of Larry yet. I knew what I thought he might look like, but what I thought he might look like and what I'm experiencing now, two completely different things. But we can only look forward with the limited perspective and the limited nervous system capacity that we have right now. And that's very, again, limited and boxing. But because we haven't experienced experienced things on the outside, we haven't experienced these other things, we don't know what we don't know. And that's what we're blind to. So we make up stories. And the fear is often more comfortable than actually just going and doing the thing. There's a lot. I mean, every every, every culture, everybody, human being, I, I wouldn't just say people who got melanin in the system, there's an aversion to therapy you know, stigma and whatnot. And you're crazy. Now all the, all this noise, but think about it. If people are more comfortable with you when you acting crazy, is that a relationship that's worth pursuing or keeping? Mm-hmm. Cause you have to, you have to understand that these heightened levels, these adrenalized ways of showing up emotionally, where you, it's storing itself in your body. And it's, you're wondering, why do I have high blood pressure? Why do I have insomnia? Why do, why am I having these, these brain zaps where I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? What, what's going on? Your body is keeping the score. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. You would be amazed at what your body keeps track of, even if you don't have a conscious memory of it. These adrenalized ways that we have quote unquote normalized or that we take a pill to calm down, the baby, the pill's not going to fix it. I promise you, because the moment the pill wears off, all that anxiety comes rushing back. You have to literally go in the direction of your pain, of your deepest trauma, and you have to go there. And I understand there has been, you've seen some stuff that you didn't want to see. You've had some things happen to you that you didn't want to happen to you and that were not your fault. I get it. Trust me, I lived through a lot of it myself. But that doesn't make what happened any less real. And that doesn't make me avoiding it any less pertinent or my body not keep the score of it. You have to go deal with the stuff because once you deal with the thing that's causing anxiety, the anxiety has no other reason to live in your body. So then it leaves. And then guess what leaves with it? The pill and the blood pressure issue and all that good stuff. But you got to do the work, baby. The the body keeps score, like Bessel van der Kelfs of 
I forgot. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, I'll, I also love the book. Uh, when the body says no by Gabor Mate, uh, that tells yeah. them oh so much. Of, yeah. Go, go, so we, <laughs> there's look, look, the point we're trying to make is that there's lots of books that validate what we're saying, that your body is literally having and response to this, you are producing cortisol, you're producing norepinephrine. It is killing your immune system and getting you sick. And then you wonder why you got immune system issues, why you got body aches, all this stuff is linked together. And you're wondering why the people in your family died early. And so, and people are so quick to want to Oh, the, the generational curse and the generational trauma. We want to make it uber spiritual. And you're talking to a spiritual guy. So this is exactly what I would, like you would expect somebody like me to say, but this flies in the, the face of the spiritual community. The generational trauma is not your grandmama working roots. That's not the generational trauma. And that's not the generational curse. The generational trauma and the curse is the fact that there is there's a history of sexual assault in your family that no one wants to deal with, and it keeps getting passed down, and it's getting stored in your body. That's the that's the trauma. That's the stuff you got to deal with. Why do I have to be the one to deal with it? Because maybe you're the one that's aware of it, and you're the only one that sees it. So if you're the only one who sees it and is willing to do something about it, then it's your job to take care of it. This, this is sensitive for me. This is real sensitive about the whole sexual abuse because you know, for those who don't know my story, you know from. I don't know how long until age 12, 13, my mother regularly sexually abused me. And I never understood why. And I never, there was, there was a lot of secrecy in her family about how she was raised other than that she had problems. Nobody sexually abuses kids by random. You know that what, what what was that dude in the uh the physician the physician to the girls Olympics Nazer I forgot his name he he locked up and mm-hmm. Sandusky and all them jokers they didn't just wake up and think oh I'm just gonna play with little girls something happened something went haywire and the thing about it the and the big thing is if you are listening. You don't have to have a conscious memory. You do not have to, you could do all the therapy in the world and never come up on a conscious memory. That does not mean that it didn't happen. But we have to start, we have to get in our bodies. So many of us are living outside of our bodies. I was one of them. And so we're not aware of when we're having trauma responses. We're not aware of when we go into grandma's house and why our body just tenses up and you just hate going in there. You don't have a conscious memory that tells you why you're tense up and hate you going in there, but I guarantee you there's something in there that's causing a response. Pay attention to what's happening in your body. I pull up to grandmama's house and I get tense and my heart starts racing. That is your body trying to tell you something. Maybe you shouldn't go in there or maybe you should question why. When I was doing my, my, my trauma work specifically around the sexual abuse, I remember whenever a time I talked about my mother, and some of the things she did, I would always cross my legs tight. And I remember my fa- my husband would say, I notice you always cross your legs tight. And I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it. For some of y'all, you need someone other than you go get a camera. And as you're talking about the trauma, watch the recording of you. Because it's so unconscious, you don't even know what's going on. 
And some of it, I'll, and I'll, <laughs> I'll take it a step further. If some of you are struggling with weight issues, weight is typically a lot of times a good indicator. We use that, that padding, that extra weight as a way to keep people away from us and to keep us safe. So we put on, and we, oh, I've been trying to lose weight, but your body can't, what, for whatever reason. And, you, and you'll give these, oh, well, it's easy for men to lose, well, I'm doing the carb and did it, and you can't get through it. It's because your body actually saying, this is the only way that I feel safe. I have this extra padding to keep the world right here. You'd be, you'd be amazed at the way our body actually adapts to your point. You know, you're talking about your mom and sexual abuse, and your legs automatically cross. I can see it automatically what's happening right there. But if you don't have somebody outside of you to reflect back to you, sometimes we do need someone to reflect back to us, right? What, what they see happening. So that's why as a coach, I say, I can't fix you. I can't rescue you. I can't save you. What can you do, Larry? I can reflect back to you what I'm seeing and what the experience is, because that's what you need to see. I can hold a mirror for you. Talking about reflection, let's just keep, let's just go a little deeper on this. A lot of folks gaslight themselves into believing that the trauma wasn't that bad. And let me explain what I'm saying. For example, <laughs> oh, that's a conversation within itself. My mama meant good when she brought Uncle Tom, Jerry, Sam, even Aunt Linda, who was then <laughs> into the into my home because they provided financially. She meant mama meant well when she came home drunk because she had to work at whatever facility. Mm -hmm. And you know, mama clearly has some issues. You knew you were being neglected. You knew all sorts of wild people coming in that house, but you wanted to wrap a nice little bow on it. And, but but before you, you go on, I just have to say one thing about, you know, Richard Pryor, right? The comedian. Mm -hmm. Okay. He had a wild, wild, wild life. He literally grew up in a brothel and he would have, there would be scenes where his mother would bring the clients over. And sometimes Richard as a little boy would see her working with the client while he was okay. holding a little toy or a doll. No wonder when he was growing up and becoming when he became an adult, he was bisexual. He had sexual identical confusions. He 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 was he never worked through any of it. He was rationalized. My mother did the best she could. Grandma was a a a, a talk about grandma. She was like the pimp or what are they, the madame of her mother. So mm -hmm. it was all open. Mm -hmm. But it was rationalized on the bell of we were taking care of each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, and he, let's see, didn't he have Parkinson's? All sorts of and, stuff. Sorts and I know he died of a heart attack. Um, so I mean, you can even just look at that. I mean, his heart literally attacked him. Think about the heartbreak that that little boy had to experience. His heart held onto the trauma for as long as it could. And then his heart literally attacked him. We got to listen to what we're saying. He had a heart, that's because his heart attacked him, right? And then we we see all these things, though, well, we, we do, I've, I call this trauma competition. And we're like, oh, well, I didn't have it as bad as my, my friend down the street had it because her daddy did this. It doesn't matter. What happened to you in your experience matters. You know, 
it doesn't matter that it wasn't as bad as somebody else. We're not competing for who who gets the best trauma medal. That's that's not a competition. And it's so that's what kills me when people say, "Oh, you're just being over dramatic or you're overreacting." There's no such thing as those words because nobody has the experiences that you had. So your reaction is not overreacting. It's a justified reaction based on the experiences and the trauma that you're carrying in your body. Question your reactions, but you're not overreacting. You're acting appropriately based on your your history and your trauma and your past. But people have to be willing to, oh, you just, you're, you're being, you're being paranoid, but okay. Thank you for reflecting that. Why am I being paranoid? And start digging. We see it everywhere. Every, every, every time a celebrity drops a book, I shudder. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, oh. And everyone's all digging into the gossip and not understand this person's traumatized. This person's being used. This person's being pimped out to the highest bidder. And even though everyone says, oh, so they're shooting their feelings. I'm like, are they working through their emotions? They're just listing out facts. And that's the thing. We will we'll be so quick to throw that stuff out there, right? But what we don't realize is a lot of this stuff, all if you think of us as a big lake, all that stuff is just sediment at the bottom of the lake. Then we just now we just drummed up all that sediment, and now the water's cloudy and muddy. But if we don't deal with that stuff while it's floating around in the water and at the surface, all it's going to do is resettle to the bottom. There's going to get more and more added. So if you're going, if you're going to knock them up some stuff from the surface, we need to be adding some clear water in there to kind of get some of that stuff out of there too. But everybody won't be talking to the people around them. And I say this with all love in my heart. So much love in my heart. Okay. If the people around you were were with you in the beginning when you were sick, what makes you think they have the clarity of mind to help you get well? I just mean that with love. I mean that with so much love in my heart because they might enjoy you being crazy. I'll never forget. I had this one particular talking about entanglements. I'm going to use entanglements. I love this now where we're going to roll with entanglements. I had this entanglement with one particular, I won't even call him a gentleman because that's that's giving him too much credit. One particular person where when he knew how to get me was giving me a bag of Skittles. I kid you not, Larry. He conditioned me to get out of my instinctual feelings and go straight to my intuitive thinking and rationalize the irrational. Oh, so he made you Pavlov's dog. Oh. And that's the and that's the thing I tell people, especially because I deal with a lot of people that are having dating and relationship issues, because not everyone realizes that relationships are the biggest things in our lives, because number one, we're a tribal species. Um, but number two, if Everything in life is a relationship, whether you're relating to money or a person, it's a relationship. But what people really need to understand and really get is how are we relating to things? What is our relationship? So that's why I say when you're dating, don't let someone know that you just met them and 
you know, my favorite um, flower is sunflower because my mom did this and this, da, 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 da. and that's why I love sunflower because it's attached to my grandmother. My grandmother loves this, da, 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 and you gave them the whole story. Then, baby, I know how to disengage all of your your stuff. I know how to give you a sunflower. I know how to give you a bag of skittles because I know this is going to bring down some walls that I I can just kind of jump over some stuff. Deal with your stuff. I know this might go in your community. I know uh, heterosexual women are notorious for this, this idea. I'm going to fix him. I'm going to fix him. Uh, okay. And for the guys who will be like, well, what, are you, what, what are you talking about? Fix him. There, <laughs> there is a tendency to think with enough love and attention that you're going to fix up your crackhead and turn him to the next S. C-suite executive in a Fortune 100 company. Ooh. 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 That's, and it has, I think that's everyone. That's everyone. And whether we want to admit it or not, people, because one thing that I will give to humanity is we can see the potential in someone. We can see the brilliance behind someone because even underneath the trauma, you'll have sparkles of that person's brilliance and their life purpose just like flash every now and again. You're like, ooh, there it is. If I could just take some time, I can work with them. I can change it. If I just change their, if I get their teeth fixed, if I help them get groomed, if I put them through school, they're neglecting you. You come at the front of the line and people say that is the most selfish thing you can say, Larry. No, baby, it's self-full. I got to fill my own cup first. I'm not going to give you from an empty cup. You can't get from an empty cup and you can be like, oh, Larry, I mean, I heard Yonla Van Zandt put it brilliantly. He said, you know, the, the Bible scripture, my cup runneth over. What's in the cup is mine. What runs out, that's for y'all. But quit trying to get people from a half-empty cup or anything. Fill your stuff up first. And then you can you can do what you need to do with, you know, boo-boo after that. But don't try to get boo-boo. Uh, y'all both dying in the desert. And you're like, well, I ain't got a but, but a sip left. Drink from your cup. Boo Boo got his own. I promise you. Boo Boo might not have dealt with his own, but I promise you, you got one. Deal with your stuff. I put it, put it right here. Don't nobody want to look at it. I don't. I didn't want to look at it. I'm, and to and to say, oh, so you mean I come to a coach? This is my favorite one. I come to a coach. Y'all still dealing with stuff. Y'all still going with stuff. Why would I listen to y'all then if y'all still going through stuff? Because we understand that it's a continuous, continuous refining process. Because we understand that we can't tell you nothing that we're not willing to work through each and every time. Because we understand that growth involves conflict. Mm -hmm. And we roll up on your conflict each and every day to remind ourselves how important our recovery work is. 100%. 100%. It's... It, the one here's the thing we want to avoid the pain it's human tendency we don't know we nobody likes being in pain we want to avoid the pain we want to avoid the hurt i don't want because then if we go look at the pain and the hurt then maybe we have to look at mama is not less than being on a you know on a pedestal we have to take her off the pedestal we have to take grandma off the pedestal it does not here's the thing two things can be true at the same time 
we have to realize that mama might have done the best that she could and sacrificed and broke her, her back. And we had some really great times and we enjoyed each other. But mama was also a raging alcoholic that was physically abusive. Those things can be equally true at the same time. And we can take mama. We have to break people off into their segments. We can look at mama, the mama. Then we can look at mama, the woman. We can look at mama, the sister. We can look at mama, the just the person. And how do I relate to mom as a son? How do I relate to mom as a mother? How do I relate to her just man to woman? You know, you have to look at all of those things because on some levels, you got to take people off these pedestals and really just be willing to break it down. And that's one of the hardest things that you ever do because there are people that in life that we we've idealized and especially if they're gone, especially if they're no longer here and they no longer can speak for themselves. And all we have are memories and pictures and family stories. Then we're, we're a lot less willing to go touch that stuff. But I even had to go do that for my brother who passed. He died 24 years ago, last month, last week, rather, 24 years ago, he died. And every year I always wondered, gosh, why do I always have, I feel so down and just so, oh, this time of, this time of year. And I finally looked up and said, oh, my God, this is the week that he died. And it hits me every single year. And I had to take him off the pedestal just last week. He was my brother. I loved him. I spent so much time with him. He did all he did some wonderful things. But he was also into drug dealing. And he got caught up with the wrong people. And that's what ended his life. I can't look at him as a brother in perfection. I got to look for him as a man and what was going on with him as a man, a black man in this world that made him decide that throwing away um, a full ride college scholarship and a trek to the NBA or to the NFL rather was worth throwing all that away and dealing with drugs and going down that route. If the right people praise me, if I have enough bucks in the bank, if I got the right papers, if all these externalities validate me, then I can finally feel good about myself because nobody taught me that you have the right to love yourself just because you exist. And I know that there are people who are grown because obviously you've grown, you listen to this podcast, right? I don't expect no 10 year old to be listening to this, be like, what you talking about <laughs> trauma? But anyway, anyway. <laughs> it, it would be a good thing for them to hear, to at least know, but no, go ahead. You head and shoulders above the crowd, then you, you listen to this podcast, you young one. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that I, if you haven't heard from anybody, from me, from anybody, I just need you to understand that you may be chronologically grown, but emotionally, you may be stunted because nobody told you that loving yourself is your responsibility and nobody else's. And we need to kick people off the pedestals because they never belong there to begin with. And because of their own fear and their own insecurities, they wanted to elevate themselves to be your demigod. And that was inappropriate. Ooh, and I will even say this, and this is where I will get the, the flag from. That includes your preacher. That includes no. your church. No. That 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 includes your religion. That include. Oh, I'm gonna say it. I'm I'm gonna say it. That includes Jesus Himself. 
No. That, that ink. People don't understand because I grew up in a Christian background. What do, what do people think that Jesus meant when he said, you know, look, the stuff that I'm doing, y'all also can do it. Y'all are also gods. I, y'all, ain't got, y'all can do this. What do y'all think? What do you think he meant? Well, but we got we to gotta, we gotta go to Paul and see what Paul, no, baby. You don't want to look at what's sitting right there. Jesus, the, the Jesus coming to save you, baby, that is a metaphor. Jesus is archetype, but I'll, that's another conversation. Nobody's coming, baby. I, I promise, go sit on your balcony, go sit at your back door, go sit at your side door and wait for somebody to come and save you, baby. You're going you're gonna to die in that seat. You're going to be looking toward that Eastern sky for a minute. I want to talk to the atheists in the room. Okay. So we, so we, so we, we equally can get roasted. <laughs> I want to say to the atheists in the room who say, well, I don't believe in Jesus or Muhammad or, or all them, all them folk. Sweetheart, you may not be worshiping or identifying a God, but you've made the God of performance, achievement, success, your God. Maybe mm-hmm. it's time to kick that off the pedestal of your life. Because maybe your job ain't coming to save you because I promised you. I promise you, you could be the highest ranking CEO in your company. And if you sit in front of a semi today, I promise you, your role will be filled in a week. And I promise you that company's going to open tomorrow. I, pro- I, I bet everything I got on it. You can be like, you can, you can, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I ain't trying to see your fire on this, but no, I, see this all, I see this all the time. They got, they helped me got my MBA. They paid for my relocation. They care about me. Watch when the next uh, uh, a revenue report comes out and they looking at uh, who's bringing in profit in each division and how, how much they love you. I see it all the time. And I think, I think the point that we're both making, because look, I'm not here to attack Christianity. I'm not here to attack your job. I'm not here to attack your mama. I'm not here to attack Jesus. I'm not here to attack anybody. And I know it might sound otherwise. I mean, listen. I, again, I'm a spiritualist. I am a spiritual thought leader. I teach a program called human design. And if you go Google human design or you go to parallelary.com, you will find out what human design all about is. It's about how your energy is designed to interact with people in the world and how you're uniquely designed to set up to be in the world, right? Not all one thing has an answer. And not all one thing is going to be a thing. We are here to experience the buffet of life. And there's a lot of stuff on that buffet that's not good for you. There's a lot of stuff on that buffet that you can eat that's going to be good for your palate, Denise, that I'm going to look at and be like, you got that on your plate? No, I don't want that. There's going to be stuff that people put on your plate that you didn't ask for. And people, and there's going to be stuff that people put on there and say, you're going to eat that and you're not getting up until you, get, until you finish. Here's the thing that we have to realize. Number one, it is all about us. And I don't say that in a selfish way. I say that, say that in a selfful way. We have to learn to put ourselves first because no one else is going to. No one else is going to. You can see it with women who get their children taken away. No, That's a child. But no one's going to put that child. For, you have to learn to meet your own need. You have to learn to meet yourself where you're at. And you have to learn to turn the focus on you. That doesn't mean you can't accept love from other people. 
or things from other people. That doesn't mean you can't have accolades, that you can't go to church and worship, and that you can't go look for all these other things. But you have to realize that all the answers and all the things that you need, you have them already inside of you. But you have to be willing to go inside of you. So to your point earlier, I just want to make sure we're, we're all on the same page that when we are mentioning religion and work and all these things, we're not saying standpoint of you don't have to feel connected to it. That's not the point. But is it defining you to the point where you are losing your identity? That's the that's the question. Yeah. And if you're like, Larry, Denise, I'm good. Then ain't no problem. But if you're feeling, if you're gritting your teeth right now and you squirming a little bit as you listen into the audio or watching us live on YouTube, by the way, Denise Chi Lee, I come. So, anyway. The point we're trying to make here is that we are all uniquely crafted to do things that only we can do. But we lose our brilliance, we lose our luster when we become, become slaves to things that don't necessarily have our best interests in heart. Yeah. And you, we have to realize, I mean, we all have these inklings that we, I think we talk ourselves out of, that, that's stupid. Ain't nobody gonna listen to me if I say that. Ain't gonna listen to it if I do that. We, we, do, we do these things. But I always tell people that if you can believe the negative about it, if you can believe that, ain't nobody gonna listen to me. It hasn't happened yet, right? So it's an there's an also equal statistical probability that everybody's gonna listen to you. But if you don't go try and you just, well, I'm scared, ain't nobody gonna listen to me, then you're after, you're hundred percent correct because nothing's ever gonna happen. But if you just jump out, you don't know what's gonna happen. So you have an equal, there's equal weight on either side. So go follow, go follow and just see what happens. That's all I'm asking. Just, just follow and see what happens. You know, in my opinion, underachievers, they're hardworking people. You know why? They busy telling everybody, including themselves, how they can't do anything worthwhile. That takes a Mm -hmm. lot of energy to be telling people that. And then like, whoa, you saying you can't do nothing. We believe you. <laughs> and then, then you're yep. not wondering why you're feeling insecure because you're being because people reflecting off the energy that you're giving off. Yep. And so and, yeah. Ooh. and see, and just so y- y'all don't think that I won't throw my own stuff under the bus. I'll throw my own, my own stuff under the bus. I'm sitting here, website redesigned, all the good stuff, getting back out here, rebuilding my client portfolio. And I'm like, I, I just, I don't know how to do online marketing and I don't have the visibility or the marketing or the sales of good or that. And I just don't know how to do it. And I just wish somebody would come do it for me. But I also am able to listen to me and be aware of, aware of me. And I'm like, ooh, oh, so you're a victim now, Larry. So you don't, you don't live in an era where you could go to Coursera and you could go to YouTube and you could go to all these places and learn what you don't know. But I have to sit here with it right now and realize Oh, it actually benefits me to say that I don't know how to do marketing. I don't know how to do sales. I just want somebody to come and do it for me. And I have to bring that into my body and just sit with it. I just want somebody to do it for me because I just don't know how to do it. I mean, just if somebody would do it for me. And then the moment someone says, oh, well, we have a company. We'll do it for you. Well, that's too much. I can't afford that because maybe you don't, you don't want it. Hi, Larry. Talking to yourself right now, dude. 
But now I'm to the point where I'm like, okay, I realize Coursera and stuff like that exists. If I don't know online sales and marketing and positioning all that, guess what I'm going to do? Now that I've identified this, what the thing is, and now that my nervous system has the capacity after since I've played with it, right, and let it sit there, that this is what I need. Now I can go in the direction. It's scary. I don't like feeling like I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't feel like knowing that, oh, God, I got to go sit down and do classes and courses again. And da, da, da. I don't want to do any of that. But I got to go in the direction of the fear and the pain because that's where the healing and that's where the up leveling is. Nothing that is worthwhile is easy, simple, or intuitive. You fail forward toward the direction that will guide you toward your purpose. And to your point, Larry, maybe some of us need to be talking about how much money we do have instead of the money we don't have. Because all the talk we say, oh, I can't afford this, but you can afford that iPhone I dropped or that new big string TV that's going to come out soon. Let's talk about that. So it's not about money. It's not about resources. It's about drive and creativity and making yourself available. Like the universe, like, look, I believe in my heart that it was by no accident that Larry and I are talking right now, all right? It's no accident. You are listening or watching this. There is no accident. So if you know that that is a... By no, cho- by no accident, you know that things are manifesting energetically. So can you energetically understand the concept that you are designed to do something that's beyond what you think is possible right now? Because nothing is by chance. Maybe you're listening right now and you're thinking, maybe I am feeling bad for myself. Maybe I need to get over myself. Maybe you probably do. <laughs> and then now what? I sit with that discomfort and then understand what's in your power. I'm really tired of people losing their potential based on imaginary things when their reality saying, I prioritize self-loathing over success. A hundred thousand percent. And the moment as people that we identify with something, if we identify with, oh, I'm never going to be successful. I'm ne- I'm I'm just I'm just da, 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 da. I'm just this. I'm I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as good. Da, 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 da. But you're never going to you're never going to be as good as Janet. You're never going to be as good as Barack. You're never going to be as good as Oprah. Do you know why? Because there's only one of each of those people. But you're going to be as good as you are but you're never going to be as good as you are if you don't actually go in the direction, like you said, sit in the discomfort, maybe even recognize, God, this self-loathing thing, it actually feels kind of good. Where do I get this concept of that this stuff kind of feels good and we get off on it? There's a book by Carolyn Elliott called Existential Kink. Read that book. You'll realize that a lot of the stuff that you complain about in life, you actually get a benefit from and you get a dopamine hit from and you actually on some level enjoy it. But you have to be willing to realize that there's no comparison. I'm not. I'm never going to be good, as good as Barack. Why? Because Barack's that seat is already taken. I'm never going to be good as Janet Jackson. Why? Because that the, the seat for Janet Jackson is already taken. I'm never going to be as good as Oprah because Oprah got that seat taken. But I can be as good as I am. What am I good at? What can I do? 
how am I uniquely designed? And that's part of what I teach with human design. And again, you don't need me to teach you human design. You can type in human design in Google and you'll find a thousand different websites. You ain't got to go to parallelary.com. You can, come, you can come to me. I'd love to have you. God bless you. But you can find a thousand different sites that's going to tell you a thousand different things. I'm going to tell it to you real. And I'm not going to say, oh, your energetic signature says that you're unable to. I'm not going to give it to you like that. The kind of conversation she and I are having right now is the kind of conversation I have. Because even human design be damned, even your religion be damned, even your job be damned, even your family be damned. Forget all that. What do you have to offer? Discovering that is going to be frightening because a lot of you guys are fearful of success because it will open you up to possibilities you don't believe that you're capable of. It's going to take some bravery on your part. And talking about bravery, if there is if there is anything people need to take away from this conversation, because Lord have mercy, I think we, we rattle enough cages. I'm hoping that I'm not going to get shadow banned. <laughs> <laughs> for for the, for this this information but you know we talked about this idea that nobody can save us we talked about understanding that some of us are getting high off the stress hormones of cortisol norepinephrine all this stuff we talked about this idea that we need to reevaluate the roles we put on people like so much stuff but if there's like any main takeaway like what would it be larry it is simply this and y'all gonna say, oh, he just quoted Whitney, and I did, but it's because it's true. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Keyword there being learning. Don't put the focus on the greatest love of all, baby. It's the learning part. You can listen to that song and you can take away a thousand quotes. One of the things that I tell people is, you know, that she says they can't, no matter what they take away from me, they can't take away my dignity. They can't take it away, baby, but you can certainly give it away. You can certainly give it away and here you go. Here's my dignity. Here it is. Here, here, you can have it. But learn it. He says, learning to love yourself. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Easy is relative, first of all. <laughs> but learning, learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. And that is what I teach people. I have a program called the Greatest Love Academy that teaches you how to learn to love yourself. Where else can people find you, Larry? You can go, I suck at social media, y'all. I'm not even gonna lie to you. <laughs> my, my sister runs my social media. So if you send me a message on um, Instagram, it's at officially underscore Larry. Um, if I don't see that message for three weeks, God bless, my assistant's the one doing the checking because I, I suck at it. Um, go to parallelary.com or send me an email at Larry at parallelary.com. All right. I, I hope that if people are listening watching and they're just feeling really motivated to continue the conversation with you Larry that they actually do more than just grin and nod their head they actually like start clicking on their keyboard or type swipe in on their phone whatever device that you're using and get in contact with you because I truly believe that every coach is handpicked for certain people and how I know that I vibe well with certain people they might not vibe well with other people. And that's cool. Like there's somebody for everybody. And I'm hoping that people will connect with whoever works best for them. But I hope everybody has enjoyed this conversation. I know I have, and I hope no one's too pissed off <laughs> as a result of this conversation. If you enjoy this content, make sure that you obviously 
write a review, share it, understand that you are designed for brilliance. And the only way you manifest it is, is through action. Larry, it's just been such a pleasure. I'm just looking forward to our continuing uh, collaboration because I know this is the start of something beautiful. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, for those of you guys who are listening, understand that everything is for a purpose. And with that being said, take care and be awesome.